excited about this Daring Faith series. Anybody else excited about it? Something stirred up in me last week when Ben was speaking. You need to listen to it. If you, haven't, if you weren't here, you need to listen to the podcast. He was saying things like, how faith changes my life and opens doors for a miracle. It's amazing. It helps me hold on through the tough times. Faith is something that gets me through the valley experiences, the difficult experiences of life. It uh, turns my dreams into a reality. How good is that? And also, we were encouraged to cross the line of faith. Today, I'm going to be speaking about daring to believe. We're daring to have faith, but we're also daring to believe. And just look at a couple of verses on uh, what the Bible has to say about believing. And then we're going to look at what does it mean to believe and how we can make our faith more active. So in John 6, 29, it says, This is what God wants you to do. Believe in the one he has sent. And here's another promise from John 1, verse 12. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. We had memory verses when we were young Christians. Who else had memory verses? Okay, and it's great because, the, you know, the persecuted church, sometimes they haven't even got a church that they can physically attend. You know, they may not even have a Bible. They may be sharing a Bible. They learn whole swathes of the Bible off by heart so that they can sustain their faith. Um, when we were young Christians, this was one of the memory verses that we learned. To everyone who received him, who believed on his name, those were the ones that were going to be the children of God. Now, as a, new, a young, young Christian, a new Christian, I want to tell you a story about something that happened to me as a young Christian. Um, I was the first convert in my church for 30 years, so it wasn't like Ivy, where people are coming back to God every week. Um, praise God for that. Um, but I was one of the first converts for 30 years, and then Frank became a Christian not long after me, so we were the first two fresh-faced new converts. The church had to practice on us and uh, try and disciple with us, which was a difficult job. And because we were converted in a church of very strong, mature, Bible-believing Christians. You know, they knew their Bible from cover to cover. Most of them had been brought up in the church. They knew the whole of the scriptures and all the teachings of Christ. And, you know, you, I was trying to catch up with these mature believers. So as a young Christian, I decided to read 10 chapters of the Bible a day. And I'm reading 10 chapters of the Bible a day, thinking I've got to catch up with these mature Christians. I started to read John's gospel and John's gospel completely blew my mind. If, if young believers say to me today, where do I start in the Bible, Deborah? I don't usually say Leviticus or Deuteronomy or Numbers. I usually say start with John's gospel because John's gospel you're reading about Jesus, this amazing person who, who fed the, uh, the hungry, who walked on the water, who healed the sick. This Jesus who just was uh, this amazing person who trusted in God, who went to pray and did what he saw the Father doing and this sort of amazing stuff. And I was so inspired by the miracles of God. So around this time, uh, Frank and I, new converts, 
uh, went with two very mature Christians who'd been brought up in the church for, away for the weekend to a place called Cape and Ray Bible College near the Lake District. It's about 60 miles away from here. We were really excited. We got in the car. We thought we we're going to lo learn loads. We're going to have this amazing experience away with these mature Christians. We, we were just so excited on the way up to the lakes, about halfway up to the lakes, we had a flat tyre. Uh, we were driving a, a white Renault 12. We had a puncture, but it didn't matter. It didn't, it didn't um, stop us from our enthusiasm. We just fixed it, put the spare tyre on, go to Cape and Ray, have this amazing weekend where we're learning about prayer, miracles, the gospel, how the gospel works, how we can exercise faith and trust in this almighty soup supernatural God. So it comes to Sunday night, the weekend's over, we're really uh, full of faith and full of uh, the Holy Spirit and excited about what we've learned. And we set off back home to Manchester. About a mile into the journey back home, it's late on a Sunday night, and would you believe it, we get another puncture. So we pull over onto the hard shoulder and um, we sit in the car having a conversation about what we're going to do, how we're going to get home. Now, it was in the prehistoric days of no mobile phones. Does anybody remember this? Yeah, you didn't have a mobile phone. You didn't uh, have any means of finding out how to fix this situation. You didn't know where the nearest public phone was or anything like that. We were just stuck. As new, excited, faith-filled, believing Christians, we said, let's pray. Come on, let's pray. What, do, what, does, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would the early disciples do? They would pray. So we started to pray. And the two in the back of the car were like, well, yeah, all right. What do you mean, let's pray? Okay, we'll pray, but then what we're going to do then? Because, you know, prayer is not going to fix the tyre. Prayer is not going to get us back on the road. Prayer is not going to get us back to Manchester. Something practical is going to have to be done. Oh, no, no, no. According to what we've learned this weekend, you pray and something happens. God's going to show up. God's got the responsibility of the tyre. You know, I'm believing and I've got faith right now that something amazing is going to happen, we say. So we're just not impressed in the back of the car, these two Christians, mature Christians. So we prayed. And then what we did was Frank got out of the car. Three of us stayed in the car. Frank got out of the car and he stood at the back of the car waiting for something to happen. <laughs> One or two cars went past and then these headlights started to approach and we're all looking out the back window. Headlights approach, car starts to slow down. Car pulls over onto the hard shoulder. Frank then has a conversation with the driver. And then a few interesting things happened. First interesting thing was the car that pulls over is a Renault 12 the same car that we're driving. Second thing is, the guy says, yes, I'll lend you my spare, even though he had a long journey to go. Next thing, he helps us put the spare on the car. The three of us are still looking out the back of the window. Puts the spare on the car, 
And then the, third, and then the fourth thing, let's exchange addresses so that we can get the tyre back to you tomorrow. Where do you live? The guy says, I live in Sale in Manchester, half a mile away from where we live. Gets back in his car and drives off. Frank gets back into the car. And two very interesting things happen when Frank gets back in the car. The first one is that Frank and I are not in the least bit shocked, amazed or in awe about what God has just done because we'd just read it in the Bible. We've been taught it. We started to believe in it. Our hearts were saying, yes, we believe in a miracle working God. If Jesus said it, we can do it. He's with us in this journey of life. So why do we need to be surprised or amazed? I have to say, quite often on days, I'm not like this anymore. <laughs> but I was then. The other interesting thing was the two mature Christians, speechless, white, not able to speak for the rest of the journey. Do you know what? Believing in God, putting our trust in God is what we're talking about today. Daring to believe that what the Bible says is true and what the Bible says by putting our full trust and belief in what his word says can transform our everyday situations. I want to read you an amazing account from um, the uh, Gospel of John. It describes the first Easter morning this way. John chapter 20, verses 1 to 9. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings were lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went straight inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up neatly, lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. So no one was expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. That The resurrection is a complete surprise to them and they still hardly dare believe it. You've got to put yourself in the position of the disciples rather than us who know the backstory and know how it all ends. The disciples were not expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. They actually thought probably that the body had been stolen. It's an interesting thing though when he goes into the tomb and sees the uh, linen cloth folded neatly and one of the um, uh, books on apologetics on the, on the empty tomb says it would be very, very interesting that a, a robber would go into the tomb, steal a body and then neatly fold the cloth, leaving it on the side. Probably wouldn't be bothered to do something like that. But the disciples are very shocked and in awe of the fact of the resurrection. 
They didn't really expect it to happen, even though Jesus had told them in Matthew 16, verse 21, he said he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, that he would be killed, and then on the third day he would rise again from the dead. So Peter says to John, do you dare to believe? And John, it says, believed. He was the first person to believe that this amazing miracle happened. Peter's got a little bit of a way to go. And I want to talk about five expressions of belief this morning. What does it mean to believe? What does it mean to put our full trust in God and dare to believe that what the Bible says is true and the person of Jesus is a person worthy of following? Do you know, I know that my next door neighbour is real and exists Ken and Jackie on one side. I know them, uh, that they are, that they are alive and exist, but I don't actually know them. I don't really know their thoughts. I don't know their concerns. I don't know what they lie in bed awake at night about. I just have uh, a knowledge of them, which is quite um, sort of distant and formal. That's not what the Bible means by believe. The Bible means by believe to cling to, to trust in, to rely on, to, to follow in a way that you live your life by that belief. That's what the Bible means by uh, knowing. It's not just a casual knowledge. It's not a knowledge of existence. It's a knowledge which affects the way that I live my life. In John 6, 29, it says, this is the work of God in the Amplified Version that you believe, adhere to, trust in, rely on and have faith in the one who has, has been sent. This is what God wants you to do, to believe in the one who is sent. Believe is used 250 times in the New Testament. It's often interchangeable with faith, but the word believe is used over and over again because belief is so important to the Christian faith. So I want to look at five expressions of believing, all based on the word trust. The first is for T is for turn everything you have over to him. It could be that you're here this morning and various situations are happening in your life which are not necessarily things that you welcome. You, you may have problems relationally or problems with work or problems with health. And in those situations, what does the Bible say? How do we apply our faith in those times of difficulty, in those times of challenge? It says, turn everything over to him. Let him be the one who is complete control. So in Romans 10 verse 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, somebody once I heard illustrate this by saying what it's like to believe in God is a bit like having a co-pilot. It's a bit like having somebody with you on a journey who kind of helps you out when you get into difficulty. God does not want to be your co-pilot. God does not want to be my co-pilot. God is the pilot. I am following his direction. If I still want to retain control and be the pilot and allow him to help me with the navigation, we all know how that, those of us who are married couples or going out with people, how that actually doesn't work. 
You know, how many arguments have you had over navigation and directions when you're trying to go places in the car? God wants to be in the driving seat. That's what it means to be Lord. In our village a, a while ago, uh, the grocer's shop had a new sign up outside. It said, under new management. Um, what we expected from that was that things are going to improve in that grocer's store. The veg is going to be a bit fresher. Um, the service is going to be a bit better. We're going to be given more of a welcome. We, we think under new management means something better is about to happen. When you give your life to God, when you choose to believe in him and you say, I am not in control anymore, but you are the Lord of my life, what that means is you are under new management. And therefore, your belief then starts to work in a way that God... So he's, he becomes your master, he becomes your CEO, he becomes the director, he becomes the manager. The second principle from the word trust is R for relax. Relax in his love. I love that. How life can get so stressful, how things can hit you from every different direction. But actually the truth is that we're loved Tina and the band were singing about it earlier. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Listen to this from Romans chapter 8, verses 38 to 39. Nothing will be able to ever separate us from his love. Death can't, life can't, the angels can't, the demons can't, our fears for today, our worries for tomorrow, and even the powers of hell can't keep us away from God's love. Whether we're high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. If we believe that in our hearts today, we can relax in his love. The U in trust stands for, and this is probably one of my favourite ones out of the five, it stands for use my life to serve God and others. Romans 6 says, give yourself completely to God, every part, for you've been saved from death and you want to be tools in the hands of God to be used for his purposes. If you have no desire to serve God by serving others, you might even question, is your faith alive? Is your faith active? Have you really believed? So I want to talk a little bit about the power to serve. You know, serve, Jesus set the example when he knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. Serving is a really powerful way of expressing our belief in God. And just to give you an example um, of something that we did in 1998, some of you uh, will have been around for this. We had this idea, which is really 18 years on, still having massive impact. And it was just a simple idea. We decided we wanted to say thank you to a group of people and to tell this group of people in the city that we were praying for them. So we designed a poster and we asked various different churches and Christians to put the poster up, to go into their local police station and put the poster up in the police station if the police station would allow it. And this is what it said in the on the poster. It said, um, thank you 
to all the police officers and civilian employees of Greater Manchester Police, thank you for serving our society with commitment, diligence and integrity. Thank you for affording protection to the vulnerable and for your efforts to maintain law and order for the benefit of the people of our region. We are praying for you that God would be with you in your work and in your le leisure, that he would protect you and your families from evil and that you would know Christ's peace in your hearts and minds. With love and appreciation on behalf of the whole Christian community of Greater Manchester. It wasn't actually the whole Christian community, but I managed to get 200 churches to sign up to it. It was nearly the whole Christian community. And then on the, on, on Jan, in January 1998, we held a massive prayer meeting at King's Church. And at that prayer meeting, we interviewed a police officer called Stephen Oak. Stephen Oak, the son of Robin Oak, who was the chief constable on the Isle of Man. Stephen Oak, a member of Poynton Baptist Church, who worked in the anti-terrorist squad within Greater Manchester Police. I'll never forget the day I interviewed him. He's about six foot three tall, and I'm really small. And I had to crane my neck to ask him, Stephen, can you tell me what it's like to be a Christian in the police service? And he told me how when he walked into rooms, uh, often everybody would go silent because they'd all been kind of swearing and blaspheming and telling crude jokes. And because they knew he was a Christian, they thought, better, better change our ways when Stephen comes into the room. And one time they said to him, do you know, why do you need to be a Christian? It's like a crutch that you rely on. It's a sign of weakness. Why can't you just man up and be like the rest of us? And so he had quite a tough job being a Christian police officer. But we interviewed him and we said, look, we're committed to praying for you and we're committed to serving you. That thank you poster, just a simple idea. Do you know what? Grown police officers with 40 years experience broke down and cried when they heard us saying thank you to them. And one police officer, uh, four weeks after the meeting, said, he rang me up and he said, I want you to know I've just given my life to Jesus Christ. And he said, the reason is because when you said thank you and when you said that we love you and when you said that we're praying for you, the hard shell of cynicism broke from around my heart and for the first time in my life, I knew the love of God. That's amazing. So just in grow groups, how easy would it be just to do a thank you campaign for a people group within your town, within your city, just to say thank you, we like you, we, we think you're great, we think you're doing a good job in the NHS, let's be, get behind our doctors, let's get behind our nurses, let's really support them at this time when they're struggling. You know, I, I look at Jenny's post and my heart just goes out and I think, Gosh, they're working like 80 hours a week. We want to work them to work even longer and they never get a thank you. Or very rarely, all we do is moan about the NHS. Okay, we might have had to wait a little bit of time, but let's say thank you to people. The power of saying thank you. Serve God by serving others. So I'm really passionate about that one. And it is still going on now. I mean, last week I got an appointment to see the chief, new chief constable of Greater Manchester in Hopkins. And I went into his office and had an hour with him. And I said, what rock do we serve you? We want to serve your vision. Tell me what your vision is. And us and the churches in Manchester, we're going to serve it. And he told me his five point vision. I took notes down on my phone. And then I said, can I have a photo for Twitter? 
You know what I'm like. So it's still going on 18 years later, looking at how we can serve, the power of saying thank you. S is one that you're not going to like very much. It's not one that we will all uh, be standing on our seats about. Let me just ask you a question. Did Jesus encounter opposition for telling people what was right? Yes, he did. Did Jesus say that in this world you will also have trouble to the believers? S is for suffer for what's doing right. Have you ever been in a situation where you approach a group of people and they're gossiping? Yeah, in workplace, and you're a Christian. Such a big temptation to join in, let's be honest. We're all, we're all human in that way, fallen people. So difficult to walk away or even to say, Let's not talk about that person in that way. When you start to believe in a way that believing affects your behaviour, you're not going to be popular because those people that are gossiping are going to think you're holier than thou and you're a little bit more important and you're a little bit superior and it's pointing their sin out. So, so those are the times where our belief actually starts to cost us something. Last year, 147 Christians in Kenya were killed for their faith. That's more difficult than walking away from a gossip situation. There's 2.3 billion Christians in the world, estimated, and more Christians are suffering for their faith now than ever before in history. It's difficult to stand up and say, I'm a Christian and be counted and let, and by the way, you, you see me living my life, the things, no, not just, don't let it be about just the things you don't do, by the way. That's a lot of the reason why people are put off coming to church. Oh, Christians don't do this and they don't do that and they don't do the other. It's got to be about what we do do. It's got to be about the way that we love people, the way that we serve people, the way that we'll go the extra mile for them even when I'm not getting anything out of it. Not just a whole list of things that we don't do. I like being at the open, open mic night the other night and seeing Ben Jeffrey and a few other people performing, having a conversation with Linz. It was a great night of fun. You know, it was a great night of, it, it didn't have the gospel presentation at it. Ben didn't bring his Bible out and start uh, giving people the A to Z of how to give their lives to Christ and advertising the Alpha course. But it was building up relationships with people and having fun and getting to know people. So, but, you know, serving can sometimes have a, a massive cost. And it, it says in 1 Peter 3, 4, if you suffer for, what, for doing what's right, God will reward you. On the 14th of January, 2003, Stephen Oak went into a home, four, flat four, four Crumpsall Lane in Crumpsall, Manchester, North Manchester, as part of the immigration operation. The resident wasn't expected to be there, but the police found three men who had arrived in England on the back of a lorry three years earlier. Believing the officers had identified him, Borgus made an attempt to escape and in the process of doing so, punched one officer and picked up a kitchen knife. Stephen Oak, who was unarmed and not wearing protective clothing, went to restrain the suspect, but was stabbed several times, eight times in the chest and upper body, including one blow which penetrated his heart. Despite his extensive injuries, 
Stephen Oak continued to help his colleagues bring Borges under control and three other officers suffered stab wounds and Oak later died of his injuries. He put his colleagues first. He stood to protect them and stood alongside them. An interesting thing happened after that. A police officer came to speak to our pastors and leaders lunch and he got up and he said, Please don't think it's a weakness anymore to be a Christian police officer. He said, police officers in the city knew that Stephen was a Christian because his dad was very famous chief constable. The, the streets were lined with people at his funeral at the, at the cathedral. Cherie and Tony Blair were there. Everybody knew that he was a Christian. And he said, I want you to know this, Alpha courses have started in six police stations around the city because there are so many people wanting to inquire of faith. So suffering, most of us won't pay that kind of price, not in, not in this country, but our faith sometimes will mean that we suffer and we're unpopular. Finally, trust in what he says. T, the final T is to trust in what he says and do whatever he tells you to do, even if it doesn't make any sense to you. Psalm 33, 4 says, The word of the Lord will always hold true and everything he does is worthy of our trust. God can't break his word. God can never break his promises. It could be that you feel right now in your life you're stuck by the side of a road. It's getting dark. You've got an unsolvable problem. You've started to pray and you've prayed many, many times and you still feel like nothing is coming along to help you. I want to tell you this today. Dare to believe that the God who raised Jesus Christ from the death can re resurrect any situation it might be that you feel like the cynical two in the back of the car. I've been there many, many times. Because when we don't get the answer we're expecting, that's where our faith is on the line. It doesn't make it any less true. God may be trying to teach us something. But every person in this place, I want to give you the opportunity to open your life up to the God who loves you. Turn to him. Relax into his love. Rely on him and trust in him in the way that I've talked about today. God is with you on the journey of your life. I wonder if uh, the band can come and maybe every eye closed because I want it to be an opportunity for you to be private with him because response is a public thing but also a very private thing for you right now to say if you want to believe in the God of miracles if something has stirred in your heart of a situation that you're facing right now and you're just saying I need a miracle like the ones that you've spoken of today I wonder if you could just put your hand up right now you need a miracle there's no condemnation for whether you have uh, felt like a doubting Thomas or had on any of these uh, sort of questions or doubts. Thomas wasn't condemned for doubting Jesus. Jesus still showed him his hands. I want to pray right now for you and also anybody who would 
feeling. I've never heard this message before. Somebody's brought me along today. I want to know what it is to follow Jesus and become a, a, a new Christian and get into this whole thing of daring to believe. Just, just put your hand up. I want to pray for you specifically. Thank you. There's two people at the back, one person here. Let's pray the prayer together. If I can find it. Dear Jesus, I want to have a real faith in you. Pray this prayer with me now. Not a fake faith, but a daring faith. I want to be a real believer in you. Thank you for dying for my sins and showing me the way to live. Today, I want to follow your example. I want to accept your gift of grace. I need your forgiveness and mercy. You made me for a purpose and I want to invest my life in serving you. I want to trust your wisdom and strength, and I want to hold on to your promises when the times are tough. Amen. Amen. I think the ministry team are coming straight down now because we wanted to give you some time to respond. Please come for prayer. Don't let pride stop you. God is here, and miracles are happening in this place now. <laughs>